welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So if you would stand for our scripture reading, it comes today from the book of Philippians. It's on page 1180, and I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, and I'll read through chapter 4 and verse 3. Apostle Paul writing to this church, he says, Join together in following following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. These words were written to a local church in the Roman colony of Philippi, because the Christians there were under pressure, externally under pressure to give their primary allegiance to the empire of Rome and to its emperor, a scoundrel named Nero. And internally, within the church, they were under pressure because of growing division prompted by two leaders who didn't agree on things, and their division was threatening the overall unity of this local congregation. So Paul reminds the church here in these words I read and throughout the book that they are a colony of God's kingdom within the city of Philippi. He says to them in chapter 3 and verse 20, we read this a moment ago, our citizenship is in heaven. Pretty powerful phrase. They are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom not of Philippi, not of a Roman colony, and not of the Roman emperor. Their first allegiance, in other words, is to King Jesus, not to Emperor Nero, and not to the empire of Rome. And throughout this book, Paul urges this church to reject any kind of selfishness, or selfish ambition as he calls it, and to embrace humility together as a congregation and stand together united and live as citizens of God's kingdom. And I would submit to you, Paul's words are timely for us. Our nation, as you probably know, is increasingly fragile because of the rising anger and polarization around our political system and the dangerous othering that underwrites these toxic attitudes. In a Pew Research Center survey conducted in the fall 
of 2023, just a few months ago, only 16% of the public say they trust the federal government. 63% of Americans in this survey are dissatisfied with all of the presidential candidates. 86% agree with the following statement, and here I quote, Republicans and Democrats are more focused on fighting each other than on solving problems. 86% agree on that. When asked to describe the current state of politics, the most popular answers were these. Divisive, corrupt, chaos, polarized, and messy. And 63% of those surveyed say they are exhausted by the political chaos. How do we live as citizens of the kingdom in a broken empire? Last fall, the elder board, and I, elder board and I started talking and praying about what we should do as a church in 2024 to help each other navigate political chaos as citizens of God's kingdom. And the result is our Lenten series that starts today that we are calling, and you can see it on the screens, Let the King Descend, Politics and the Way of Jesus. And my job today is to introduce this series. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about following Jesus as our King and living in his kingdom within the chaotic and contentious political climate of our time. How do we engage in politics as citizens of God's kingdom? How do we think through the many social issues in a kingdom-centered way? And how do we, as a local church, live as a colony of the kingdom of God within a polarized political environment? This is the stuff of this series. And I think I know the question rattling right about now in many minds because I've heard it every time I've mentioned this series. It's a one-word question. Why? Why are we doing this? And the question is not asked in a tone that is seeking clarity. The question is asked in a tone that is assuming we are out of our minds, which we may be. It is a desperate kind of why. A pleading kind of why, as in, you have to be kidding. We're going to do this? The church mortgage has just been paid off. New people are coming. We have exceptional volunteer leaders, and they're doing incredibly good work. There's a marvelous good vibe around Oak Hills Church these days. Why, oh why, are we going to ruin it by talking about politics? Well, for a number of reasons, and I want to just lay a few of them out to you today. And the first one is because politics is paralyzing and confusing and exhausting. 63% in that survey simply said they're exhausted by the whole thing. And most of us feel the paralysis and the confusion around politics. And I think Christ followers should feel this. A lack of certainty about how to engage politically seems to me to be a sign that we are seriously wrestling with how our kingdom citizenship shapes our politics. I mean, this is not easy 
to sort out. And I'll say this throughout the next several weeks. We need each other's help and we need each other's guidance. When you think about it, one of the only areas in our lives that for one reason or another is kind of tucked away and hidden from those we trust is politics. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Who we're going to vote for, we sort of tuck that away and hide it from one another. This is complicated. It's not easy to sort out. We need each other's help to sort through the paralysis and the confusion. Second reason is because our king, Jesus, wants to descend into our politics. Hence the title, Let the King Descend. Everything we will explore over the next six weeks flows from what we talked about the last two weeks. Everything we're going to talk about over the next six weeks ties back to what we talked about the last two weeks. The kingdom of God and Jesus the King. Those two very related, interrelated concepts form the foundation and the basis of this Lenten series. See, for genuinely Christian people, the kingdom of God frames all of our lives. I just can't say this enough. The kingdom of God is our meta-narrative. If we are in any way, shape, or form seeking to be a follower of Jesus the way it is spelled out biblically, then the kingdom of God is the ultimate story that reshapes and reorients every other story and circumstance in our lives and in this world. Every single one. And here's something that I at least find to be good news. King Jesus understands the complexities of American politics today. And he wants to have an influential voice in our political engagement and choices. He wants to descend into this arena of our lives and have more influence on us than Fox, CNN, MSNBC, Twitter, Facebook, or any other media source. See, our identity as a kingdom citizen means, among many other things, our priority is Jesus' way, perspective, values, attitudes, and character. These are to be the driving force, then, behind our political theology, political ideology, and political engagement. When we say we are a citizen of the kingdom, when we identify as a Christ follower, we are saying our priority is Jesus' way, his perspective, his values, his attitude, his character as the driving force behind our political theology, ideology, and engagement. And obviously, politics and political engagement is much more than a presidential vote once every four years. Politics has to do with our common life together in our local communities, Folsom, wherever, and in our nation. Michael Ware is an experienced political activist, author, and citizen of God's kingdom. Not in that order. He's a citizen of God's kingdom who happens to be a political activist and author. And he defines politics, and you can see this on the screen, as the systems and processes by which our local communities are governed, 
Politics is the forming, norming, and sustaining of our common life together. It is a culture producer. It is an essential forum for loving our neighbor. Our politics should reflect the things God cares about. That last sentence is strong and important uh, and actually seems fairly obvious. If we are citizens of God's kingdom, then his kingdom principles should be reflected in our political choices and engagement. Let me say that a little bit stronger. If we are citizens of God's kingdom first, then his kingdom principles should be driving our political choices and our political engagement. Hence the series title. Let the king descend into our politics. Let the king shape our politics. I came across a phrase a few months ago that struck me and stuck with me. Here's the phrase. Disciple citizen versus citizen disciple. And we're going to come back to this often over the following weeks. Someone who sees themselves as a disciple of Jesus Christ first and then a citizen of the United States approaches real-world stuff very differently from someone who sees themselves as a citizen of the United States first and then a disciple of Jesus Christ. A question, does my discipleship shape my citizenship and my politics or does my citizenship and my politics shape my discipleship? Third reason. Politics is a trigger topic that reveals who we are and what we value. T-R-I-double-G-R. Trigger. And I'm confident the triggering is well underway. In some of our thoughts and some of our feelings and in some of our defenses. The mere mention of the word, the mention of the series, I have a feeling started the triggering. I imagine a few of us have already decided something like this. I'm skipping the next six weeks. That's how potent politics is. It makes us bristle. It puts us on edge. He better endorse my side. He better not endorse the other side. You know, just thinking about this, I'm wondering all over again, why did we do... This year. If you gather with extended family on Christmas or Thanksgiving or whenever, then you have likely witnessed how politics can ruin a turkey dinner. Throw a stiff drink down Uncle Billy or pour two glasses of wine into your sister-in-law and the most wonderful time of the year turns into the biggest nightmare of the year. So I want to urge us all right at the beginning of this to embrace the triggers, because they come in, as Dion says. Feel them. You might even feel them right now. Sit with the tension. Sit with the triggers that are being stirred up. Because this is the raw material of deep water growth in Christ's likeness for you, for me, and probably most importantly, for us as a local congregation that is seeking to be a colony of the kingdom of God here on earth. Don't run. Don't hide. 
Don't polarize and don't skip the next six weeks. Instead, let's ask God's spirit for a non-anxious presence. Think of that idea. Let's ask God's spirit for a non-anxious presence so we can sit with these triggers with our story open and with our politics open instead of closed and shut down and defensive and ready to fight. A non-anxious presence where we listen to each other, we listen to the Bible, we set aside anger and defensiveness when it arises, and it probably will arise. We set it aside. We do not nurture it. When we hear things that don't align with what we think or believe or want, we stay engaged, a non-anxious presence. We just commit ourselves to doing this no matter what because our unity matters mostly when we have differences and there are differences in this arena. I'm part of a local pastors group that meets twice a month to share what's happening in our ministries and to pray with each other. And from roughly 2017 until about 2022, those twice a month gatherings and discussions and prayer times consistently included stories about people who were mad at us or leaving our church because their politics was not being reinforced to their satisfaction. And every pastor I know dealt with this at a significant level. And every pastor I know was some degree or another shocked by how severely people reacted and by how quickly people extracted from their church community because they weren't hearing what they wanted to hear in, about politics. I mean, politics is a fully loaded subject. It triggers fear. It triggers anger, worry, certainty, judgment, hatred sometimes. It triggers othering, meanness, name-calling, and much more. And if these trigger reactions were exclusive in those who have no faith then it would be outside our scope. But Christians, the people of God, the church are equally triggered and have often responded terribly. All we have to do is listen and we'll see this. All I have to do is hear how I react sometimes and I'll discover how terrible we can all be. And here's the point. Our political attitude and perspective is a reflection of our spiritual formation. It reveals who we are, who we trust, what we value, and what we prioritize. So as kingdom citizens, we have to talk about this. I mean, we just have to step into this as citizens of God's kingdom. Part of our work in this series is to interrogate our own political perspectives on the various social issues of our time and help each other seek first Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness in these issues. And there will be disagreements along the way, but disagreeing is different than polarizing. 
Disagreeing can be healthy and spiritually formative if we walk into it with gentleness and with grace, a non-anxious presence. See, politics is another doorway into spiritual formation if we will pull it open and walk through it. And this is what we're about here at Oak Hills. Christ being formed in us, individually, in us, as a congregation, so we have to talk about it. Next reason, fourth reason, is because politics, faith, and church do indeed mix. The other day I was telling the woman who cuts my hair about this series. She isn't the church person, and she isn't the faith person, but we talk about church and faith regularly, and when I mentioned this series, she said, and I quote, when I was training to be a hairstylist, I'll never forget what my instructor told us, don't talk with your clients about religion and politics. <laughs> she was warning me. And that probably makes good business sense for a hairstylist. But over the past eight years or so, I've heard on many occasions some version of the following. I don't want the pulpit to talk about politics. Or, religion and politics don't mix. Several years ago, I said something standing right here during a sermon that didn't align with a person's politics, and they marched up to me afterward and said, and I'm quoting again, I'll never come here again. And they didn't. So, practically, it's probably wise to not mix politics faith, and church. But this kind of compartmentalizing doesn't have any biblical support. See, if the kingdom of God is a Christian's meta-narrative, big story, then religion or faith mixes with everything. It touches everything. It shapes everything, including Politics. I was thinking about this, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, you know, money and religion don't mix. I don't want to hear about that in church. Or marriage and faith don't mix. My marriage is separate from having anything to do with my walk with God. I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't want the pulpit to talk about the poor. Nobody really goes around broadcasting that, so why wouldn't our politics mix with faith and church. The answer is because it's going to create conflict. I get that. And that's true. But is the creating of conflict a reason not to step into something? See, if the kingdom of God frames everything, then our politics is inside the frame. We'll dive into this deeper next week. But many of the words and phrases in the Bible that are used to identify God and life in him. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but these words and phrases, many of them, are inherently political, such as the kingdom of God, Jesus the king. Jesus is Lord is a political statement. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's all political language. Or consider this. In the first century, when the Roman army would win a battle or conquer another nation, couriers would race around the various Roman colonies, and here's what they would shout. Here's the good news. 
our emperor has won another victory. The Roman emperor himself, this scoundrel named Nero and others before and after him, were sometimes referred to as our Lord and Savior. So when Jesus announced his kingdom was at hand, there were profound political implications that rattled the power structures of his day. That's why he got arrested and killed. The idea that politics, faith, and the church don't mix is our attempt to keep these categories isolated from each other so they stay clean. But genuine faith doesn't isolate from anything in our lives. Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And though it doesn't say this, the implication is in everything. Matthew 6, right out of the Lord's prayer, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And then in the Greek it says, in every arena except politics because you don't care about that. In everything, on earth as it is, in heaven. Now I want to get this out of the way right here in week one in case some of you are wondering. We are not going to push one or the other presidential candidate in this series. And I apologize in advance if that's something you want me to do because I won't do it. We will push against political idolatry. We will focus on seeking first Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' righteousness in our political choices and in our political engagement. And here's the thing about this. We cannot do this faithfully or authentically in isolation from each other. So don't keep it to yourself. I'm just going to say it over and over again. Don't keep your political choice to yourself. I'm not suggesting go out on the street corner here with a sign saying, I'm voting for so-and-so. I probably wouldn't recommend that. But there are people in your life who want what you want. They want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And bringing them into your process is a really good idea. Put it this way. Open your political story to people that you trust. I just heard of two couples who recently went to dinner from the church. And they talked about their politics. And they are on different sides altogether. And there was a lot of, how can you be this ridiculous? Wait a minute, what? But they hung together and they learned from each other by listening to the other side. We need each other's help to navigate this mess. So let me say it this way. Seek first Jesus' kingdom and righteousness and invite others who are doing the same into your process. Discern together who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about. Pray with others about your politics. Pray with others about your confusion. Pray with others about your certainty. Debate and disagree with other brothers, sister, brothers and sisters in Christ, and then engage politically and vote however God's Holy Spirit leads you. Fifth reason is because we are a pull-up-a-chair kind of church. It'd be a lot easier to avoid this subject. I'm already, as we're going through this, going, this was dumb, Mike. Shouldn't have done this. <laughs> but for as long as Oak Hills has existed, We've been a pull-up-a-chair kind of church. Sit down. 
face to face and have a conversation with confidence that God's spirit moves when we wade into things that are hard in Jesus' name. So we think it is best to go through the difficult and the delicate instead of going around them. Because by walking into the difficult and delicate issues, we can spiritually and emotionally mature as individuals and as a congregation. No guarantee this will happen, but we have the opportunity for it to happen. Now, again, get this out of the way. This doesn't mean we're going to do this series perfectly. Let me say it more directly. We will not do this series perfectly. I will not say things perfectly. There will be gaping holes and mistakes, I promise you. You will at times be disappointed and irritated, I promise you. You won't hear everything you want, and you will hear things you don't want, I promise you. If you're looking for a reason to leave Oak Hills, you'll find at least two over the next six weeks, I promise you. But here's the question I can't get out of my head. What other institution is going to at least try and approach this topic with the kingdom of God and King Jesus at the center of the conversation? Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Twitter, Facebook? No, none of them. What other institution is going to at least try, however imperfectly, and approach this topic with the kingdom of God and Jesus the King at the center of the conversation? Last reason why we're talking about this is because we have a marvelous opportunity, we meaning we, to demonstrate the alternative way of the kingdom of God. For several years, we have been inspired by the vision of being a church of unlikes. Sometimes you'll hear me say it as a church of difference, E-N-T-S. That is a church filled with people who think, believe, look, and vote differently. A church of people who are old, young, everything in between, white, Asian, black, Indian, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar, married, single, divorced, and on we could go. We have faithful Christ followers at Oak Hills Church who vote Democrat. And we have faithful Christ followers at Oak Hills Church who vote Republican. T-R-I-double-G-R. I just feel like maybe that's doing that. A study from LifeWay Research found that 50% of Protestant churchgoers prefer attending a church where people hold similar views. And I get it. We like to be with those who are like us. But a community of unlikes proclaims the gospel in a divided world and shows the world how powerful Jesus Christ actually is. And the church from the very beginning was designed to be a community of unlikes. There is a palpable tension in the New Testament around the inclusion of the Gentiles, as it's called, in the early church. Christianity was born out of the Jewish faith 
And there came points along the way where there was pressure to let Gentiles be part of it. And the tension was palpable. You can read about it in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and among many other places. But God's plan from the very beginning was for Jewish and Gentile Christians to worship together and do life together and sort out the tensions and disagreements in the shadow of the cross and in the shadow of an abundant communion table. As Ephesians 2.14 says, for Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, the dislike and hatred between these groups cannot be overstated. We might think of it and just skip right by it. Oh, Jew, Gentile, they came together. We cannot do that. We cannot underestimate the dislike and the hatred. Let me put it this way. In the Jew, if the Jew-Gentile tension was a great Dane of a dog, the Democrat-Republican tension is a toy poodle. Doesn't compare. God's plan was to pull them together as one people united in King Jesus to witness to a chaotic world how powerful and good he is. Hostility is a good word to describe the political climate of today. And as I mentioned, the Christian community has often added to the hostility and polarization. The Christian community has given our culture ample reasons to marginalize us because we took the bait and we chose to play the political power game. We're going to get our person and win instead of being what one author calls a contrast community. The Christian community, the church, played the political power game instead of being what it's called to be, which is a contrast community. Sometimes I think to myself when I listen to certain people rant and rave, you're asking the country to be what God says the church is supposed to be. Nonetheless, a contrast community. The church is supposed to be a society of different people who are seeking first the kingdom of God and navigating everything, including political chaos, in a way that is in sharp contrast to how it's done everywhere else. So we're talking about politics because we, Oak Hills Church, have a marvelous opportunity to demonstrate who Jesus really is and how good his kingdom really is and sort out the political tensions and disagreements that will arise in the shadow of the cross and in the shadow of an abundant communion table. Oak Hills is to be a colony of God's kingdom within this city and nation. So we have a wonderful missional opportunity this election year. And I'm going to do my best to keep rallying us to seize this opportunity, to show our friends, to show our coworkers, to show people in our own families, to show our neighbors the difference Jesus Christ makes in political chaos. And it has nothing to do with us getting our man or our woman in the White House. This might sound strange to you, or maybe not. I actually think this series can be a whole lot of fun. 
well, maybe not fun, but something close to fun. If we enter into it together with a non-anxious presence, confident in the Spirit's work among us and in us and through us, and if we commit to this journey together. I mentioned earlier the question, why are we doing this? So much good is happening. Such a good spirit in the air. One of the answers is, why not? God is up to something. Is it possible? Could it be that one of the things he's up to is to say, okay, we've been working at this. Now we have a chance to do this differently than the nation is doing it. Now we have a chance to lay aside the anger, lay aside the acrimony, lay aside the othering, and come together in the shadow of the cross and at the abundance of the communion table and navigate this with a non-anxious presence with our mind and our heart fixed on seeking first the kingdom and the king. Part of the journey involves us engaging in some spiritual practices. So we have some for you each week of this series for the next five weeks. And there's a handout right back there on that table. I would encourage you to stop by there on your way back. These are very specific practices. We're asking you to engage in those practices multiple times during the week. Um, this week, we're asking you to take time by yourself with a journal of one kind or another, and journal what's going on in your interior world. Journal the triggers, fear, anxiety, anger, certainty, and sit with those triggers and certainties and confusion. And if you're really gutsy, share what's going on with someone else. Would you pray with me, please? And I just want to invite you as we wrap up to return to something we talked about the last couple weeks, this idea of reopening our story. I want to change it just slightly and invite us to reopen our politics. The goal is not to then change it or whatever. I mean, if that happens, then it happens. But the goal is to let Jesus descend into how we think about this. To let Jesus descend into our fist-pounding certainty. To let Jesus descend into us and replace, perhaps, transform, perhaps, the anger, the ferociousness, with a non-anxious presence. last couple weeks we talk about Jesus the ascended king big transcendent overall above all lord of all and that was preparation for this series where I want to encourage us to invite King Jesus to descend into our thoughts our anxieties our fears our certainties And as citizens of his kingdom, to open ourselves to his goodness, to his grace, and to his 
transforming power. So Lord Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you in these weeks. It's delicate, it's touchy. Give us a non-anxious presence with each other. And may your Holy Spirit find a home in our individual hearts and in our church as we seek first you, your kingdom, and your righteousness in the realm of politics.